0: So Lisa, we have neglected our duties of making sure that our listeners are really delving deeply into mental health and how it connects to endurance sport. And, you know, we flirted with it on many podcasts, but, you know, let's, um, check our privileges as well as our limitations, knowing that, um, neither one of us are mental health professionals or experts at all. (laughs) We know our limits. And so, um, I think it, smart of us to bring in someone who knows this area um, and also has experience in endurance sport
1: I think that's a great idea because you're right we've skirted around the issue we've flirted with it we've brought it up we've dropped it in but neither (laughs) neither you or I are are really any good about that no not at all yeah not at all I'm excited to have an expert here with us to uh, tell us all about it so that we can impart some good information to our listeners
0: Absolutely. So on today's podcast, we're gonna have the incomparable Dr. Nicole Bailey with us. I'm so excited to have you here.
2: Thank you. Um, thank you for having me here.
0: I'm
1: Dr. Shauna Payne Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed,
0: a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. Well, let me just say, um, our guest is extremely accomplished. Look, she sent me this bio and I'm looking at this thing like, okay, it's long, but it's not even close to everything that she's done. <laughs> uh, Dr. Nic- Nicole Bailey is with us. Um, and I'm so excited because it's really interesting when we start to bring everything together. I think uh, Lisa and I have tried to do a good job of being as intersectional as possible, but I don't think you can get any more Uh, intersectional in Dr. Bailey's background, experience, profession, just incredible. So uh, Dr. Bailey is with us. Uh, And so, um, yes, another PhD. I think they get tired of talking to us as PhDs, Lisa. I mean, we've got, we just keep bringing them in, but hey, that's what we do. (laughs) Um, But Nikki, I call her Nikki because we are already friends, but uh, professionally, Dr. Bailey offers an affirming and safe space to all including those of the BIPOC and LGBTQIA communities to restore balance and reconnect to their inner strengths. They believe in the power of vulnerability and authenticity as these two qualities are proven to transcend the helping relationship and focuses on treating the whole of someone not just a part, Lisa, that sounds really familiar to what, um, as far yeah. as what we do with uh-huh. students, as far as that holistic approach, that's what it yeah, reminds me of. Sure. Um, and so Dr. Bailey has all the alphabet behind her name, uh, LCSW, uh, she's also a PhD in counseling studies. And so we're just thrilled to have you with us. And we're just trying to, uh, get some questions answered around mental health. So thank you for being here with us. This is amazing. I, I listened to you guys. So now to actually physically seeing,
2: I'm like, oh, I'm feeling this passion. I'm feeling the, the love in the room.
1: Great.
0: We love passion. We love love. Mm-hmm. And we're not fooling around on this podcast. Okay. Because we talk about the tough stuff. <laughs> we talk about the tough topics. And um, I don't know about you, Lisa, but I know for me, especially during... Uh, to through and beyond the pandemic, I have not been as tight on my consistency with my workouts, but the ones that I do have have been the ones that are really um, mentally sustaining me and keeping me mm-hmm. stable. I use that language all the time of stable. Mm-hmm. Even if I just go and walk a few laps around the school, it's just keeping me stable. And, you know, we talk about this a lot around how endurance sport can be. Uh, such a support as far as mental health is concerned and then how it could be even more of a support for our BIPOC folks, our LGBT folks. And so I just want to hear more about, you know, what are those needs? What are the distinct needs of BIPOC populations and LGBT populations and, you know, how might uh, we all be supportive of their mental health as we move forward?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great um, way to get started um, because, 2020 was quite the year, as we've talked about, right? It wasn't just a pandemic. There was also a whole lot of stuff happening around racial justice. And obviously, right now, we're in the middle of the trial of Derek Chauvin, right? So that's obviously going to be creating some burden, and some stress for a lot of people. And we're also on the precipice of potentially having triathlon or cycling or running or other sports opening up. Some people have vaccines, some people don't. We know that vaccine distribution has been disproportionate um, with communities of color, the um, higher rates of infection and lower rates of vaccination. And so there's a whole lot happening here. And I think that we, um, you know, the endurance sport community could be well served to understand um, that the kind of broad based effects of mental health, because it's not one size fits all.
2: Um, I, I agree with you. Um... I've been practicing for for a number of years, and this is actually the first time that I am also going through with my own mental health, along with my clients. So we weren't taught about this in, in school. You know, we didn't have someone to say, okay, well, what happens if a pandemic happens? And how are you gonna treat the individual? Well, Let me think about how am I gonna treat myself and my clients to maintain that. And endurance sport, um, I agree with you. It, Shauna, it, it, it's helped to maintain my own stability and preparing me to um, to keep pushing forward so that I can be available from the clients in the community I serve, especially the BIPOC, especially the queer, if you fall on that spectrum.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think it's it's so interesting because I've seen some language around you know, let's not talk about two pandemics um, when it comes to, you know, a COVID-19 pandemic versus a um, white supremacy racial pandemic. It, it's it's a lot of things. It's very complex. And so I'm just wondering, you know, what are some of the things that you see, especially in your practice or otherwise, um, where if you are working with LGBT clients or BIPOC clients in particular, what are some of the common um, I don't want to say maladies, I'm not sure if that's the right term, but what are some of the the common conditions that you see um, that we might want to be aware of, especially as we have um, fellow athletes, many of us are coaches and we care deeply about uh, our athletes. What are some of the common things that seem to pop up for BIPOC communities as well as LGBTQIA communities? Let's
2: get right into it. Um, I've heard of that, I've read that, I've seen like in the psychology magazines that come to my home. Well, you know, let's distinct the two. No, they go hand in hand. They, um, they go hand in hand, like the, the Black Lives movement, the racial trauma, the Me Too movement, um, you know, trans life matters, and then those individuals that are on some form of a spiritual awakening or life transitioning. It all came at one time and it goes hand in hand. We cannot treat one and not treat the other parts. Alternative forms of medicine and endurance sports, it's one of those techniques that I personally encourage some form, whether it's meditation or yoga or long distance running or, you know, girls trek. That group is awesome. I include a lot of my um, individuals to be a part of our local endurance community. Because of the the support that it's giving us, Um, increased social stabilization, connecting with others. I'm big on connection. We are human beings. We thrive on connection like we're doing this evening. Mm -hmm. So just to see that um, and to bring awareness as you guys are doing in your podcast, everything goes hand in hand. Everything is connected, Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. in mental health. Um, something I do want to say that's been boiling in me, if I can share. In January, <clears throat> January 2021, the APA, um, American Psychiatry, issued an apology to the biopipe community of regarding their support and systematic um, oppression, dealing with your mental health diagnosis, dealing with how you are receiving services and treatment. The APA was founded in 1840. So 170 years later you're going to Okay, this is my license. 170 years later you're going to issue an apology? Wow. Incredible. Incredible. Thank you for allowing me to uh share space with you because that is something that has mm-hmm. been on my heart for a while since that since already I'm I'm a I'm in this community. I've, I'm a social worker. -hmm. I'm a community-based social worker. I've spent ten years in that in our community directly. So to see that services are limited, mental health is treatment is limited, based on you meeting these criteria that were set in 1844.
1: Mm, That's powerful, and you know, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes um, we forget. I think white people especially forget. That there's a lot that's still around that was established in the mid 1800s or earlier, you know, in the height of um, slavery before the Emancipation Proclamation and, you know, moving forward into Reconstruction and such. And those systems, including the organization, the APA, right? that hang around today and still have power today, right? And control a lot of um, our lives, you know, and it's, and we can't ignore that historical piece. And that's what I think Sean and I have talked a lot about with sport, you can't ignore the exclusion of people from sport um, because that has an effect today. And so it sounds like um, from your perspective as a social worker, as a counselor that, you know similar themes exist um, in your profession.
2: Exactly across the board. Um, we are all um, a participant in endurance sport. I think Shawnee, you mentioned something. There was a race that you attended a few years ago, and when you looked on the brochure, we weren't even there, you know. And I see that. Oh, that's Especially right. Especially around the fall of last year, when there was a group that's dismantled on Facebook publicly an endurance sport community, and we had all these splits on mm-hmm. beliefs. So. Um, I think that personally, what's going on on the outside is also going on on the inside.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that's where I think uh, Lisa and I, (laughs) we get a little angry. We start uh, dropping lots of four letter words and so forth on this podcast. Well, and part of it is because it may be that there's this false sense of this is all separate. You know, Lisa and I talk about this all the time around, you know, the folks that, you know, show up to the group ride as if race doesn't matter when it yes, does in when the group ride, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, that sexual orientation doesn't matter in the, you know, the social groups that we have when we have our tri-club clubs that meet for dinner at a place that was clearly either a plantation or it was very, um, it, it was minoritizing people of a particular background or because of their sexual orientation. So, as acting as if all of this stuff is not connected to Lisa and I has been very unnatural. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't even make sense. So, you know, the fact that, you know, we might ride our bikes through a particular area that has Confederate flags and that's disconnected. It's absolutely connected. And how that connects with the mental health of yes. endurance athletes that's what we're trying to kind of flesh out and figure out because we know a lot of obviously athletes listen to our podcast, a lot of folks that are professionals in DEI work listen to our podcast, a lot of coaches who work with diverse athletes listen to our podcast, and so we're all trying to figure out short of going to school to have all the letters that you have, what can we do to be supportive of all the populations <laughs> because they're all coming to us, you know, and we have to be very cognizant of the context and how it does matter where you run or cycle when you're in an election year that ostracizes particular groups, like it's connected. And so how do we first get out of this denial that it's not connected? And then how do we continue to support athletes in these ways? Um, That's our ongoing challenge. Two things I want to say. I live in the South. I live in Atlanta.
2: The best riding roads are in the rural area. I mean, for for preparing for your, you know, your A race or your your big race of the year, going out into the country roads and just riding for a good, you know, hundred miles, it's it's awesome, um, especially here in Georgia because we have a lot of rolling hills and the scenery. But you are going to pass, which I have personally experienced, even in Ironman specific races, um, areas that are have their flags out. And they're proud and they have, you know, I was chased by a pickup truck. So, I mean, those things are real. And that was two years ago when we were, when we were preparing for North Carolina half.
0: So. um, We weren't even in the thick of things for the election yet then. That was, you know, a good ways before that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. And um, just creating space. I'm creating space, the groups that I'm with, I really appreciate them. and I think I'm with three. I don't know why, but I'm with three. Um, but to just add space, to create a safe space for us to just be who we are, welcome us, um, include us in the activities. And one group, we have a set schedule um, having coaches that look like me. That's a big thing, which I don't really see um, in one of my particular groups, but having coaches that look like me and, um, allowing us to just feel and, um, ride, swim and bike our truth.
1: Ooh, I love that ride, swim and bike our truth. That's a great way to frame it. Um, yeah. And I think that, I mean, Shauna and I have talked about before, you know, the, the stuff that she just mentioned around riding and, you know, your stories of in being in Georgia. And I think, what gets lost on probably mostly white men, because I think women have some experience of this or with sexism and um, the you know fear of safety from that angle, is wanting to go out and practice endurance sport, train for something, and feel like it's a safe space to do so, while at the same time not wanting your group to acknowledge kind of those extra stresses that are on you, but without tokenizing you. So it feels like it's a bit of a a tension, not necessarily a tension that's in opposition, but this, this is my peace space, right. That helps me with my mental health. But then I also feel this kind of added burden or added stress because folks don't understand my experience. And, and especially last year, you know, peppering, um, athletes of color with questions about how white people can be better allies, right? Like that just, it just, it feels like it layers. Um, and so thinking about like, if you're a group leader, like you're running a group ride or you're a tri club, um, you know, president or something, is there something that you could share that might help them kind of wake up a little bit and understand, you know, maybe how better to navigate those waters,
2: um, I agree with you. I think we experienced that also on the mental health side. Oh, when we have colleagues, um, my white colleagues said, well, you know, um, help me to understand what the BIPOC LGBT community, I can't do that. I'm tired, <laughs> you know? So I do, I, I understand that both being an endurance sport and um, having the coaches wanting to know how to do that. Let's have dialogue. Let's talk, be honest, be real. There was something I want to say now I recall was changing our mindset. No, mm. know, um, that's huge. I hear that in the coaching community. It's mindset. It's a mindset. But the reality is endurance sport was hetero, white, male, entitled, gifted sport. The, the bikes are off the chain. The cost of bikes. So we can change our mindset of how we view it um, from the past to the present is a great way. Just having dialogue, asking. You know, um, doing, we used to do swap, you know, let's exchange. If I don't have a particular wetsuit, wet um, letting me have the, you know, awareness or exposure where I can get a wetsuit. How much is this wetsuit? What are the different types of wetsuits and the cost? Just simple educating would be, to me, would be number one.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just thinking about that, even with the wetsuits, because, you know, the education. To me, it sounds like it's combating both the privilege of folks who already know the sport, like the back of their hand, the folks that are in the category you mentioned, Dr. Bailey, and then also it's combating um, those that may carry that imposter syndrome of, oh, am I in the right place? Can I do this or not? Like it's, it's going back and forth between both of those groups just the educational piece and so what does that do to start highlighting or at least acknowledging privilege while also acknowledging oppression at the very same time Um, and what does that do to bolster someone's confidence in the sport their longevity in the sport I mean yeah yeah that to me it's speaking to two different groups
2: um, I, when I came into endurance sports, maybe five years ago, six years ago, I didn't realize the magnitude of what I signed up for. <laughs> right. You know, my first race was in October and all I'm here is a wetsuit. What's a wetsuit. Okay. I can go get a diving suit. No, that's, you know, but just a simple walkthrough, the simple exposure, um, having the clinics and especially with newbies and those in our community, having the clinics and taking the time to explain things and and show, like show and tell we used to do in elementary school.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, you know, I think that this is also, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of mulling this and thinking, there are folks um, across kind of the experience spectrum, right, um, and so you're gonna have um, individuals from marginalized communities, so non-dominant, so not white, not male, not uh, heterosexual, who have a lot of background in endurance sport, but they still feel um, overwhelmed by um, or pressured by the weight of the pandemic, um, racial justice movement, all the other things that have happened. And so... It's not so much for them about learning the sport. It's more about feeling like I can participate in a group something without leaving, feeling more tired, like emotionally tired than I came in. Um, And I don't know if you have thoughts on that.
2: I agree with you on that one, Um, especially um, in the last, with the pandemic, more and more individuals are are seeking outlets and we've never been quarantined. I can't go do this, can't do this. The pool is closed. I've never experienced that. So I, I work through that with my clients. One of the CDC guidelines, now that we're slowly making some movement, more people are wanting to get into endurance sports and welcoming that, whatever level it is. Not giving the, having that false sense of um, expectation. You have to have this top-end bike or this latest X, Y, and Z gadget, you know, just really putting emphasis on the material things and more on what we can do to help build that community and help welcome us into the community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm, I'm, think- I'm thinking there was a point in time during the pandemic, I don't care if all I had was a big wheel. I wanted to get out of the house. I wanted to get some sun on my face. I wanted to be around other people so i didn't feel like i was in the twilight zone because i really started to feel like even my house was starting to get to close in on me like there were just some psychological things going on and even um once we were able to go out and go to a store maybe go to a restaurant and sit outside to eat with proper social distancing and so forth i've still heard many stories of athletes and non-athletes alike still having bouts with anxiety around, you know, I haven't had to drive to work in six months now. And now that I'm going to drive, I feel some anxiety with driving or getting too close to the curve or what have you, or, um, cycling in particular, where some people are like, Oh, well now there are more cars out. So now I'm feeling more anxiety versus when I could go out during the pandemic and no one was going anywhere, (laughs) that type of thing. And so I'm, I'm also wondering too, how are people, um, you know, it, it's not a off or on switch when it comes to the pandemic. We are entering or we were entering a quarantine and now we're exiting a quarantine. And that's um, not a on or off process. It's a gradual one. And I'm just wondering what the reentry is like for folks or, or what you've seen with your clients as far as what is this reentry looking like? Because that whole question about what normal looks like now, entering the old normal which many of us don't want (laughs) is quite different from thinking that you're going to enter a new normal. So what have you seen as far as kind of re-entry back into this world that we're trying to figure out what normal looks like?
2: That is interesting as we are, I have several of my clients, majority of my clients do not want to enter into the old normal. So having to assist with some kind of skills on building with the gradual progression in, I've heard people like, have returned back to the workplace, have returned back to the office um, due to, okay, well, now we're open. Let's all go back and flood into the office. So that's naturally causing us anxiety. So I encourage, and I do my best to, this is a social worker in (laughs) me. Let's develop a plan that we can easily graduate and have a working plan with those supports, um, like our bosses and our directors, because they're also experienced. Let's acknowledge it their own Mm -hmm. mental health on this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I encourage uh, constantly getting some sun, the vitamin D it's, you know uh, it's our natural mood stabilizer. Mm. And I think that's why sport is so um, amazing, at least on my end, because it is a mood stabilizer. We have endorphins naturally we're tapping into the serotonin and the dopamine. But now as we are shifting into the new normal, I think, you know, let's, I'm going to use the word beef up. Oh, just go with it. (laughs) Let's do connection with each other. Let's Let's get our groups back going slowly. Whatever, what's in the guidelines of the CDC. Let's build up on that social connection, Um, being creative. I think that the pandemic has allowed us to be creative so Mm -hmm. that we can slowly ease into this endurance sports, especially as the race, is, race season is somewhat picking up.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and um, <laughs> you all definitely have more experience in social work than I do. Obviously, Dr. Bailey does have her letters behind her name. And also to Dr. Ingerfield, um, also teaches in a school of social work. So it, it sounds like if we couple the social work brain with the coaching brain, um, what can happen is I, I think coaches and folks in endurance sport may need what that in, that reentry plan looks like, right? So um, a lot of people don't know, Dr. Bailey and I, um, a couple of falls ago, uh, chased each other down at uh, Ironman North Carolina 70.3 and had a great time doing it um, and it's lovely to recall how fit we were and how we were at a certain place in our lives, but that's not going to happen overnight. We're we're not going to get that back overnight. (laughs) And so, you know, I'm just thinking about overall, there's a lot of uh, endurance sport athletes that have uh, either been in the confines of, for example, not being able to swim, frankly, because of social distancing guidelines and safety. Um, There are other things that we have been able to do. So I'm wondering what a, re-entry plan would look like that's reasonable because it's we should not sit around thinking oh we're going to be in you know 70.3 shape by you know the end of the month that that's right. not realistic right. and so what does <laughs> I think we need to couple the social work brain with the endurance sport that's brain to figure out like what's, what's the re-entry plan you know and I think it's going to be different for everybody I'm assuming but I think there needs to be one versus just waiting on our old fit to show up and knock on the door that ain't gonna yeah.
2: Happen. yeah, that's not going to work. I, I noticed that I was like, okay, I can't do this eight miles on this bike. Um, like I used to, I, I, to be honest, I, me personally, trainer wrote. I renewed their subscription. I am still on the basic level one or one. A. have been on that since January and just slowly going with the field. A friend of mine told me schedule your workouts. So I have my workouts on the schedule. I'm not winging it like I used to. So certain things that I used to do, it's not really benefiting me now. So I do, I have a schedule and I am, I have a realistic schedule. I can't do an hour. If I can do 30 minutes. Oh, it's awesome. Sometimes I surprise myself. Yesterday, matter of fact, I did 45. Oh, you're impressive. So I man, was, you are yes, impressive. I was happy. Mm-hmm. I was like, yay. So just being, <laughs> just having some realistic what we call smart um, perspectives and goals. Um, starting out and slowly building, building that. If you can do one mile a day, challenge that. Strava is great with motivating us to do those goals that they have once a month. Do a five k or a ten k. So it's just slowly finding ways that can motivate you, and talking with your fellow athletes.
1: How, um, what advice do you have for people who are really struggling with that transition back? Right. So maybe they have lost a lot of fitness, um, and they are, they're nervous, they're nervous and, or really frustrated that they're not how they were fitness wise a year ago. Right. Like what are some strategies for the, for athletes to manage that?
0: Lisa um, is talking about me personally. Uh, like she's calling me out <laughs> right now, right now. <laughs>
1: Um, compassion, having
2: compassion, self-compassion, um, like we utilize in our sessions, don't, don't come from a, an area of a judgment, being affirming to yourself. Um, sometimes we have to tell ourselves. I think, um, yeah, just having compassion and affirming, having your mantra, your word, your, your motivation wall. That is really big. I am big on, again, as we mentioned earlier, our mindset our perspective. What are we taking in? What are we getting in? So that to me would be number one is having that compassion to yourself. We've been in a pandemic. I've been eating good. I've been drinking good. My shorts, my tri shorts are not fitting the, the way they want. Yeah. I had to go order larger <laughs> size. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm getting back on the bike. I'm getting, you know, I'm doing my one mile.
0: Yeah. So
2: just still having the fun. That's why we d- we're doing this endurance sports. I'm not a pro. So I'm doing it out because I enjoy it.
1: That's an interesting point, right? Because I think that there are a lot of Type A people or folks that um, take endurance sports extremely seriously and their level of fitness. And I'm not—that's not a negative. But there are some folks that don't necessarily do it for fun or joy. Um, they're motivated by other things. And so I can imagine it might be really interesting to have that mindset sh- set shift into this quote-unquote new normal where perhaps reaching for or thinking about getting joy out of something versus how hard can I go, how fast can I go, what record can I break as a, you know, kind of taking a step back and maybe finding another pathway to those achievements because, it you know, instead of just going like full throttle the whole time. And I wonder whether this break, forced break that we've had, will um, assist some people in contemplating that.
2: That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I think rest. I think everyone's training plan has some a rest day. And sometimes some of us utilize the rest day. It depends on where we are in our training. Sometimes I may have to go hard on my rest day and then, I, you know, it all depends on what's going on just real talk right there (laughs) but uh, (laughs) um this pandemic kind of i won't say forced but it did us to go into some form of rest mode and how can we trans transfer that or bring that into now as we go into this new normal welcoming some form of rest
1: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. like embracing it more because embracing it more, enough, right? We've had more practice at it, like even if we went into it kicking and screaming, right? Like there's been a repetition, which hopefully maybe created some kind of habit around being right. passionate and restful. Yeah. Right. Mm,
0: absolutely. Well, and even the the first thing I thought of when you mentioned rest and rest day, because I got what you what you said, Dr. Bailey. There's some times where that rest day you have to go hard because your scheduling is off, you have something else going on, etc. And so, you know, the first thing that I thought of even was just the intensity. You know, it's it's one thing to say, "Oh my goodness, I have to run like the clock is chasing me down the street for these three miles because I'm training for something," versus, "Oh, I'm going to run my three miles and I might stop and take a couple of pictures of the blooming dogwood and get some sun on my exactly, and, you know, and 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 that is rest in a different way. Even though, yeah, the three miles is on like your training plan, but how you approach it could be the perspective of the rest. Because let me just tell you, there's sometimes when I'm training for a, a race, I ain't got time for no pictures. I ain't got time to be cute. I don't have time for a selfie. I need to get from A to B because I need my training plan to save this number. Versus during a pandemic, you know I can go around the golf course and say hi to the neighbors and it's a different yeah. type of approach, you know? How can
2: we find that balance? Um, and I think that's what I'm experiencing. I, I'm enjoying, I think since January, I've been challenging myself to just commit to 30 minutes. Yoga to me is rest. So that's how I welcome my rest day is having a, oh, let me go to do my yoga or meditation. Now, um, spring is gorgeous here in Atlanta. So I take walks. Mm-hmm. I may not be in the mood to run. So I'm going to go ahead and walk. I'm still moving. Mm-hmm. To me, movement is self-care. That is a form of self-care for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, Lisa, I'm wondering, um, as we kind of wrap things up, I'm wondering for those people who may need some help, because I'm always thinking about things, I, I just want to throw back just a minute and then come forward. Um, I found triathlon when I was going through the baby blues after my second son was born. And it was the best thing for me to just not think about baby anything for like an hour or two in the day and then get back to being mommy, that type of thing. I'm wondering about for people who may need some support, whether it's professional or not professional, you know, what should somebody be looking for in a health professional, uh, especially as an endurance sport um, athlete, because <laughs> we we are cut from a different cloth. Okay. Let's just be real on that. Um, so what should we as endurance sport athletes look for in a really strong mental health professional? Mm-hmm. And if you uh, are, if you don't have the privilege of being able to afford or access a mental health professional, what might be an option for those folks mm-hmm. as well?
2: Yeah. Um, That's really good. There's actually a few of my colleagues and I'll send you a list that specialize in in, with endurance sports um, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. throughout the U.S. Um, I know up by you, I'm going to throw this. Mine's in motion. It's an IG page and he Mm specializes in endurance sports. Actually, it's a, um, a cisgender black male that does that. And that's his, I think his, Actually, I might have taken that quote. I'm sorry, I'll plug it in now. <laughs> Movement is self-care, <laughs> you know, and, um, and um, I will definitely send you a list because there are several of my colleagues on the West Coast and East Coast that specialize and work with endurance athletes with that. Um, to what to look for Someone that participates and can understand because we are a unique breed. You know, when we like, okay, my training plan says I need to do this. Yes. How can I achieve this goal and work on my anxiety and maintain my relationships? <laughs> so, someone that understands the makeup of that. So, inquiring um, this pandemic and the movement and oppression has really. Carved a way for more authenticity that I've seen in with my colleagues and in the field. Mm. We are becoming more personable. Ah, you heard it. <laughs> we are. We are becoming more personable. We're realizing that we need connection. We need the sense of vulnerability. We're asking you to be vulnerable with us. There's some level of discretion and um, disclosure, but we are thriving on that. And that's part of treating treatment, part of that helping relationship so inquire if the therapist or the individual you want to work with the coach understands the mentality of an endurance athlete
0: yes because we are some strange birds let me just say that we <laughs> we we want to we want to know what can we because endurance sport is all about you know going long and pushing the limits you know and and that can be quite contrary to self-care. You know, how many times have we told ourselves mentally to, you know, push through the pain or go one more mile, or, you know, I know your body is telling you to shut down right now, but I need you to keep going. Or it's exactly contrary to what we ask our bodies to do in endurance sport. Um, So it's hard to go that additional mile while your brain is like, remember you're on the beach in your brain, but actually you're dying. Right. Um, And so You know, I think that's what's so interesting about it is when to know not to go there and when to know when you need help because that's not something we're trained to do.
2: No, we're, no, when to know we need help because, you know, you have the rules on the race. You know, you, you want your fellow athletes to help you, but your family's like, okay, I got it right here. Well, I can't take that from you. So when can we know to welcome that help? Mm-hmm. And, and, um, definitely when you're interviewing a therapist, ask them about that and ask them if they understand when you your race is next week. And they said, um, oh, you're supposed to rest and mm-hmm. how to prepare and shift your mindset and having those affirmation. And what can I do to welcome rest while I'm preparing for this big race that's coming up?
1: Welcoming rest. I like that thinking about it that way, right? Letting that into your life, especially, you know, in those moments where endurance sport stops being a moment of peace for you, like Shauna just articulated, right? Which is going to be particularly true when there are these other stresses going on in your life and around you in the political and cultural climate that we live in.
2: Right. And um, one thing I love about this sport is the groups that we've formulated. Mm-hmm. They become our family, right? You know, we are we spend more time with my Training partner than I actually do during training season with my own family. <laughs> so absolutely. hopefully we can forge those relationships with each other that co- that connection.
3: Yeah. and
2: I love our training partner. They know they have their own families and their own relationship, and they can say, "Okay, no, you need to go home. We
0: done. <laughs> we committed three hours." Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I I remember I'm one of one of my best. I'm using air quotes here. One of my best runs with my training partner was supposed to be a 16 mile run to prepare for a Marine Corps marathon. We had a 16 mile training run on a Friday afternoon after we both had worked all day. And we're on the way to the trail to run. And I looked at her and I said, I'm exhausted. And she looks at me and she says, I'm exhausted too. Let's just stop at our favorite spot and get some fried catfish, go home, eat, go to bed early and try this again tomorrow morning.
1: Oh, nice. That
0: Best is nice. Best thing ever. Yeah. Best yeah. thing ever. Because that would have been just the trash run. Of oh, the week, that would basically. have been so That tough. would have been,
2: and p- prone to potential injury. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So
2: well, being vulnerable and letting that individual, your training partner, know what's really going on in inside, even though yeah. you might have just been venting, having that mm-hmm. relationship and that connection. say, you know what? let's go ahead and go get this catfish and then let's try again mm-hmm. get <laughs>
0: Exactly. Well, Lisa, I think we should uh, close out. Uh, Dr. Bailey and I have a funny story um, of when we were racing a couple of years ago at Ironman North Carolina, 70.3. <laughs> we, we were both in really good shape and I don't know about you, Dr. Bailey, but I saw that bear on the side of the road. Did you see a bear on the side I, of the road? Because you I were ahead saw,
2: of me. I, I did, I, I didn't know what to, I was, I wanted to stop because I had to check my own reality I said, okay, I've been out here training <laughs> since seven this morning, and then swim. Was mm-hmm. that a bear? And I couldn't recall the race reports that I read to say that there were bears. So I, I didn't have it in any of the race reports I've seen. So, um, And then when I saw the cub, come by, I was thinking, okay, what is in my brain? What did I read about when I see a cup? I never saw a cup, you know, do treated like
0: a dog. <laughs> let, let me just say, I heard people yelling up ahead of me, bear, bear. And I looked to the right of the road and there was, I guess the mother. Um, I don't know if the mother was laying there asleep. I don't know what was going on, but after I've watched the um, the Facebook page afterwards after the race, when we had several people on the thread saying, "Oh my God, did you see the bear? Did you see the bear?" Um, so yeah, so that directly affected my personal mental health during mm-hmm, that race mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I was tired <laughs> as crap and the started pedaling faster. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think we're at mile forty something then, and we. Had, oh my. Uh, yes. 15, we so, have- yeah. And so needless to say, that directly affected my mental health. So I'm grateful that you were on the course with me because I just said, if, if I can catch her and at least we're in this thing together. So if anything happens to me or us, there will be a witness because I, I just didn't want to believe it. I thought I was hallucinating. Yeah. So,
2: now, you know, when you're racing, you know, like, okay, did you get enough nutrition? Are you just taking mm-hmm, enough on go. the bike? Did I really see that? I'm like, okay, well, if I stop, is there a sag gonna come by? So I just, like, just keep going, just keep yeah.
0: going. So Lisa, I'll I don't know if a bear. you see just right, right, right. <laughs> this image of you like pedaling really fast, like, oh my god, oh my goodness. I'm talking about like the witch on the Wizard of Oz. I mean, pedaling like somebody crazy. Um, it, it just, uh, oh my gosh, I, I just couldn't figure out whether it was. Hallucination or real until I heard people yelling bear. So, right, because I saw you on the run
2: when we caught up on the run, my brain was so tired, I couldn't
0: even process. Right, right. What was going on? Exactly. So, so Lisa, I don't know if you see bears often, often in Colorado, but yeah, I'm not used to that when I'm training or racing. Period. There's not.
1: There's a few. I haven't come across one on a training run or bike ride. Yeah. I'm glad.
0: Good. Oh, knock knock on wood. Let's, let's hope we keep that trend going. So, mm-hmm. but Dr. Bailey, you have been amazing. Um, we need to consult with you more often as we go out here. Look, we build the plane as we fly on this podcast. We do, okay? we we do. do. <laughs> So, but we, we do um, honor how important mental health is, especially to really um, oppressed populations and, and the folks that we speak to in this podcast every week. Mm-hmm. Um, So we're so appreciative of all that you do in your work, both professionally, but also as an endurance athlete. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I I
2: had fun um, and I appreciate this platform, especially more and more people are coming in, more and more people Mm. are coming in to endurance sports. And how can we set that up to welcome the wave that is coming or Mm -hmm. has come
3: or Mm -hmm. will come? I don't
2: really know, but. Where we are right now, but um, more and more people are coming. We're seeing more individuals riding bikes, running, swimming, the whole gamut. So this platform and what you guys are doing is amazing, and um, I'm excited to continue to you know listen and support because you guys have some really good ones.
3: The Unfazed Podcasts and all things Feisty Triathlon are grateful to be supported by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker cuts through the noise of diet and wellness trends by analyzing your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to provide you a personalized, science backed, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is a simpler, cheaper, and more convenient option than traditional blood tests, and their test includes biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from the traditional option. What we love about them? They don't just give you data. They provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. Inside Tracker is offering 25% off their entire store to the Feisty Triathlon community. To claim your offer, go to InsideTracker.com slash FeistyTriathlon.
1: Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit.
0: Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford.
1: Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna.
0: Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.